let's role play a little bit. <clears throat> I am into uh, LARPing, <laughs> if you aren't familiar with that. Is that with a harp? <clears throat> Actually, it's not. Live action role playing, uh, you know, with foam swords. I was in men's synchronized swimming. Hmm. Now, for some reason, I'm, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. It was not an it's actual great. sport. But, over but, at Mesquite High, but, it was but, a big sport. But I, it wasn't a sport. I just met myself in the pool and did synchronized swimming. Welcome to Season 4 of Crazy Pastors. I'm your host, Christopher Cass. Bum, bum, bum. And I'm the other one, Ronnie Marriott. Man, Ronnie, I am so excited today. We have Todd Bolsinger on the podcast. I I don't know how in the world. Crazy pastors. Having Todd on the podcast is super huge because of the impact that this book has had on us as we've applied it as a staff. For you and I personally, I don't know how many times we've talked about the content in this book. Oh, man. Millions. He is a thought leader in this realm of church and culture and change. He really is. And I'll tell you the thing that I respect so much about Todd. This will be a hot sports opinion here. I don't like reading a lot of Christian leadership books. Really? Matter of fact, I avoid them because I think that they are generally watered down and they are using source content of other great minds that have spent 20 years researching a particular topic. So I know that's a little snooty to say that. But what Todd does in his book is that he uses these super, super rich source content that most people really are not going to read, especially pastors. But then he doesn't just repackage it. He makes it super practical and approachable for a pastor to actually do something about. So, man, I've read hundreds and hundreds of leadership books. But this is absolutely one of my favorite. And the way he writes, the way he thinks, I'm just a huge fan. So let's get Todd on. Man, it, it's a, I'm going to geek out a little bit, Todd. It's such a big deal to have you on this podcast. It's an uh, honor for sure. It, it really is. I'm Christopher Cass. I'm the executive pastor here, and that's Ronnie Marriott, the lead pastor, or some call him senior pastor, but I prefer lead. <laughs> <laughs> Understandable. Sounds old, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> So we're super excited to have you on, uh, and probably, Todd, the biggest reason why we're so excited to have you on is because of the impact that your book has had in our ministries. Yeah. So what I'm hoping to do today is, as an author, I'm not sure you get the opportunity to hear how local pastors have taken your content and driven change in an organization, in the church in particular. So we kind of want to share that a little bit, just what makes the book so significant to us, why it is a mandatory read for all of our staff, and why we've given away certainly 100 copies. Uh, that'd be a conservative estimate to pastors in our area. Wow. So, uh, And then, you know, love to get some more thoughts from you on application to the local church. And don't want to talk theory as much as I want to talk practicality, because I think that's the core of your writing style. And man, I love it. Absolutely love it. Huge deal, Todd, to have you on. Well, thank you. Yeah, it is. Thanks that's again. great. So let me jump right in, Todd. Great to have you as a guest today. One of the things that we've taken from Canoeing the Mountains that has had a huge impact in our ministries, and it's a quote from your book, no one is going to follow you off the map unless they trust you on it. And the first step to this process of developing trust is identifying and clearly communicating what will never change. Uh, that was a that was a radical concept that for me. That was a big one. Yeah, so one of the parts about that is most of us know that you can't bleed anything if there's not trust. Like trust is really important. But what's hard for most of us is we sometimes think trust is all that we need. 
And we have to help people realize this. Trust is like building the bank account that you then invest in the remodel. Like it's a it's a totally different experience. Yeah. And so both of them are necessary and it can be sometimes really challenging. Yeah, we took that uh, as a staff, talked through that portion and then actually shared that on a Sunday morning as we were getting ready to announce some major changes. And we talked about here are the six things that we are not going to change. And just yeah. that realization, yeah, change is a part of life and change is a part of church and it's necessary. But here are some concrete things. And I can't tell you how much that freed people up. I mean, I think the trust was there, but now to say, hey, I can bank on this. This is who we're going to remain faithful to these things. And so it gave me freedom and the church freedom to stretch and grow in other areas. So that was super helpful. Well, and one of the parts that you probably experienced was it's not only saying, hey, these things aren't going to change. Don't worry. It's also saying the reason why we're changing is these things are so valuable. We want to preserve them. Yeah. Right. We're willing to let other things go to preserve the most important thing. Right. So, you know, for Lewis and Clark, we let go of the dream of a water route that had been an European dream for 400 years. So we could discover a whole new world. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the vision of where we can be, where we're headed. And so this is necessary to let these things go. Man, yeah, that was, again, people bought in pretty quickly mm-hmm. once we said those kind of things. Well, and I don't think, though, that pastors spend enough time thinking about what are they agreeing is never going to change. I've been in ministry for 20 years, and I don't know that I, before reading your book, spent enough time contemplating that, and I believe this is a Heifetz Lansky quote, that people don't fear change as much as they fear loss and really their perceived personal loss in something, especially in church where it's, it's, you know, we're, we're committed to God, we're committed to each other. There's a great deal of emotionality in all of these things that we've experienced. And so to provide a safe place by explaining, hey, these are the things we promise are not going to change because we feel they're integral to the culture and DNA of our church. Yeah, And that just allowed... I mean, Ronnie, you know, following a 29-year pastor and, you know, everyone, when that happens, is going to be scared about what are, what are these new guys going to do when they come in here and change it all up? Yeah. So that provided us a lot of freedom, I think, early on. So thank you, Todd, for that. That was huge for us. Yeah, well, well, you're yeah. welcome. It's it's really, I'm, I'm so glad you guys started there because when we consult and when we do, co- we have these cohorts where we allow churches to come together and be in groups where they learn from other churches. They're always ready to get going. And we tell them, you know, the first thing you're going to do is get clear on the real gift that is your church, the thing you don't want to lose. Yeah. Then yeah. after you have that, that gift, that charism, as their Catholic brothers and sisters call it, now you can be talking about how that charism is needed in this world and the way in which we're going to change to make that happen for the sake of the gospel. Yeah, it was interesting, you know, the view of call weekend where got to meet the church and there was a question answer time, which is always a little bit scary. (laughs) Uh, But it was funny how the questions were divided. A lot of it was, what are you going to do in the future? What's vision change? But a lot of it was also like, you're not going to change our traditional service, are you? You're not going to get rid of the choir, are you? You (laughs) So you can start to see real quickly what things are very important to people. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just as contentious to get really clear on what will never change as it is that what you're going to change. <laughs> well, sure and, and it's wild. Like when we talked about what's never going to change, we weren't super specific in all areas. We kind of left some openness for some freedom of movement. And I'll never forget <laughs> one of the big things was we expressed early on, we have an overwhelming commitment to traditional worship. That's one of the three styles of worship that we do at our campuses. So we said that we're very clear about it. But then when we added drums onto the stage, Oh, my word. You would have thought that, you know, we had burned down the church when we had that drum kit up there. But we were able to follow that up when we got critique and criticism to say, hey, look, what have we committed that we're never going to change? 
We have committed to traditional worship. That is unwavering piano, organ. We are committed to that. We're just going to add some other things along the way. So that was super helpful. Yeah. Well, and of course, reading your book, you talk about the time where you were getting up to preach and God gave you the impression about leading and preaching. And it's interesting, the statement of your people need you to lead them even more than preach to them. That's revolutionary. That's real shocking because it's interesting the questions, even in a search committee process, they don't talk so much about your leadership skills. In fact, I've had a church one time say, we just want you to preach and visit hospitals. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, then you don't want me. <laughs> you know, that's just, you, you can't separate that. So just how that's developed in, in your experience, I'd love to hear more thoughts from you on how that's just become realized in your ministry. Well, one of the most important parts of that, Ronnie, was paying attention to the fact that there was a time when what churches were needed to do in a community was gather Christians in groups of people that they were comfortable with and teach and preach the word to them. In a Christendom world, that's what a church existed for. It was like, like, it's like a little chapel. So then the difference is, is which style did you like? Well, in a missional world, where the mission field is not across seawater, but across the sidewalk, and sometimes sitting yeah. in your same pew, you literally recognize mm-hmm. that what you need is to actually mobilize a community of people to fulfill the mission of God, and preaching is for that purpose. And so when we start realizing that the reason why we preach is to gather people before the presence of God so that they might worship and that they might be formed for the mission God's given us, then you realize that yeah. preaching serves leadership, it's not leadership. And that's a big change that I think has happened since as Christendom has given way to post-Christendom. And we're now much more aware of a different set of challenges. And, you know, when seminaries serve, I still know seminaries where like to graduate, you need to write a 30 page exegesis paper. You don't (laughs) have to write like a missional strategic plan and think about it. Like how many 30 page exegesis papers do you actually ever write as a pastor and how many times do you yeah. need to lead your people through a strategic planning process? Oh yeah. I remember the five year strategic plans and you know, you spend a whole year trying to come up with the next five years and yeah. by the time you get to it, it's already passed by. It doesn't yeah. even fit anymore. Todd, are you, now you spend a lot of time around the country with a lot of different groups and pastors. Are you seeing a genuine shift in mentality of lead pastors to understand? I mean, there was a time 20 years ago when I first went to ministry, no one was talking church leadership in early 2000. There was no class you could take. It was all corporate leadership stuff. And then there's been a little bit of a shift, but I still, it seems to me, at least with the group, the people that we talk with, there's still some resistance to this idea that a pastor has to be a leader as well as a preacher, as well as a teacher, as well as a caregiver. So in your experience, are you seeing some shift in that momentum? Well, both shift and resistance. Like, so, so sometimes <laughs> the problem with the mental model of leadership is that we have these models that are not biblical, right? The charismatic mm-hmm. leader who, who is dogmatic and autocratic. The bully yeah. who is the prophet who gets away with whatever. The leader who is treated almost like royalty in a world where Jesus was the servant, right? So mm-hmm. it's yeah. me, the issue isn't, should we do leadership? The answer is, you're always, in one sense, leading a people, right? Like yeah. this, one of my favorite examples of this is, in the Hebrew scriptures, in the Old Testament, the dominant narrative of a shepherd, shepherds mm-hmm. were kings, Like shepherds were leaders and the shepherds were the military leaders. So when the scriptures say, I'm going to provide you a shepherd after God's own heart, it meant a shepherd who's going to care for the sheep, not eat them, 
right? And so, so the point is shepherding is a quality of leadership. Today, we've turned shepherding into pastoral care, right? Right. So, what, you know, right. the church has right. said to you, Ronnie, you know, we want you to preach and visit yeah. hospitals. They're thinking, we want you to be a shepherd. Yeah. Um, they don't realize shepherds yeah. were kings, right? And, and right. They, were, <laughs> they were military leaders. So it's a quality of that. Yeah. And I had to face this when I was speaking to a group of clergy in Scotland, where an older minister walked up to me and said, you keep calling me a leader. I was trained as a minister. I'm a minister. Mm, I said, yeah. well, minister is servant. So what is it you're serving? And you start realizing, yeah. if I think my job is to serve these whoever shows up with just their spiritual needs, that's different than my job is to serve the gospel emanating from the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of this people to our community. Now leadership yeah. be part, is inextricably part of ministry. One of the that ties into that is as, as pastors, we genuinely want to help people and we genuinely want to move them forward in their faith, in their relationships, in their service. Yet at the same time, one of the quotes in the book was that, and we have adopted this as a staff across the board. I promise you, Todd, you can walk up to any one of our pastors and ask them if they know this quote, and they will, that leadership is disappointing your people at a rate they can absorb. <laughs> well, you can right. thank Ronald Heifetz and Marty Linsky for that. Heifetz and, yeah, <laughs> right. But again, I've read so many of those books, but the typical pastor is not going to read Peter Singag, yeah. right? He's not going to read some of the, the bigger works. And so to have you come along and take those best parts and make it practical and applicable to the local church is significant. Yeah. And disappointing your people is really, really tough emotionally for a pastor to yeah. do. And to recognize that it is fact, you'll never be able to get around it. No matter, and it became more evident during COVID, right? No matter what decision you made, you made people angry. And so for us, the real blessing of you and your work in Canoeing the Mountains was that six years ago when Ronnie and I came here, we made Canoeing the Mountains must read for all staff, mm -hmm. which the big deal there is that it prepped us for what was coming that we were going through in a major staff and church shift. But then it prepped us for COVID in a, such yeah. a unique way that we were able, by God's grace, to flourish through that time and really come through stronger than we went in. But that's because of you and your book, man. <laughs> well, God is good and uses even books. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and one of the things that really was challenging to me, talking about transformation and transitioning of a traditional church, as we talk about in the book, that it starts with the transition of leaders, the transformation of leaders. Yeah. And I got to be honest, my thinking even coming to First Burleson erroneously was, no, I'm already there. I just need the people to catch up to me. Mm -hmm. Never really considering <laughs> that, okay, I'm in that process as well as transforming. And then with COVID, that was definitely a stark reminder. No, you've got to be adapting as well. And so that was a big challenge for me, but not not easy to fulfill. Yeah. It, I don't, hopefully it's not out of arrogance, but like, no, I'm already there. I just need you guys to catch up to where yeah. I am. So this is actually a really important piece that like goes back to your first question about trust on the map and off the map. Um, adaptive leadership yeah. is literally the leader, a type of leadership that is needed when you don't have best practices, when you don't know mm -hmm. what to do, right? So, oh. so, so if I said to either one yeah. of you, hey, there has been a tragic you know, car accident in your community and you're going to have to go to the hospital and care for people and some people may pass away and you're going to have to work with people on grief, you guys know what to do. You can mobilize your team. Yeah. We've all been trained in that. It's 
difficult, right. but we know what to do. That's on the map stuff. The transformation happens is when people look at you in the eye and say, hey, the world is changing all around us and what used to work didn't work. And so, Pastor, what should we do? Mm. And the only honest yeah. thing you can answer is, I don't know. We're going to have to learn yeah. as we go. Right. We're probably going to have to let go of stuff we used to do that is really dear to us yeah. that's not working. And we're going to have to navigate yeah. competing values. Like, we're going to have to navigate... Mm. What do you do when you have to choose between hard decisions? And so this is a different type of leadership. And this is why we say that what we're training people is, you know, we don't just train people how to do a strategic plan. We change people how to think adaptively about every plan they're going to ever have to make. Because that capacity building for leading when there is no map is really the is really the task of leadership today. Yeah, that's definitely been the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. There's no real map on how You don't to really know it. what's next, what's going to come next. How do you handle it? And uh, yeah. it's been really challenging. Mm-hmm. I'd be interested to know, Todd. I mean, you've written Canoeing the Mountains and Tempered Resilience. Again, another fantastic book. What are you chewing on now? Now that, I mean, you, <laughs> you've got this progression that you're kind of going through in these two books. What are you chewing on now? Well, it's a third book. And the third book, which will probably bring what I would say is a series into to a close, is really how do you develop the adaptive capacity of your people? I've probably done 170 or more webinars, probably 50 <laughs> podcasts since COVID. And yeah. what I realized is the giant, when you talk to any pastor, you realize the giant challenge of this day is a discipleship challenge. And I think partly we yeah. have discipled people for a Christendom world, for uh, institutional, like to make them good institutional church members or to make them people right. who think individually yeah. about their own self-care. Those those things are not bad. They're just not adequate right. to a rapidly disruptive time where less and less people are engaging in church. So to ask yeah. the question, how do you form people and how do you create the culture, the organizational culture that forms people who are able to faithfully adapt in a rapidly changing world is really the challenge of the, ne- the next piece I'm working on. That's really good. That's, I can't wait to read it. Yeah. I mean, that's a big question we've been asking. You know, you hear all the conversations about uh, the school systems and the kids that are behind now because they stayed at home for a year. Well, the same thing is in church. You know, we see some of that spiritual struggles that people are going through and the, even those that have not come back. And Todd, that's my concern that those are not come back to be a part of the family of faith. What are we going to do to help disciple them? Because my fear is in the next year or so, we're going to see even higher divorce rates, uh, even more marital problems. I mean, just a lack of maturity in our people. And so that conversation, how do we disciple outside of these walls? That's a huge yeah. part of our conversations. Well, and a huge part of it is to think about, so one of the parts we learned when I was writing Tempered Resilience was resilience is not brought about just by gutting it out. It's not about getting tougher. It's about becoming both stronger and more flexible through a formation process. So Tempered Resilience is about the formation of a leader. And the next one is about, so how do you form a community to produce really healthy, enduring fruit? Like to produce people who can in season and out of season be faithful to the gospel, who whatever they're facing... Yeah. live out their faith. And one of the things we do know is that the practices of the past, some of which helped us build big churches, didn't produce disciples who responded well to COVID or to political division yeah. or to the, <laughs> right. Uh, That's right. ri- the rising awareness of injustice. We didn't respond. It wasn't yeah. our best moment. And so because of it, we, now yeah. we can ask the question, so what kind of formation do we need? How do we adapt our discipleship to form people for this world we're in today? That's a great question. Absolutely. Like I said, we want to buy the first two copies of <laughs> yeah, your next yeah, book. Yeah, sure. 
Definitely. And we'll let you know how we apply it. <laughs> Todd, a lot of our listeners are going to be, and I say listeners, but also other pastors and networks that we're a part of. We have a focus really on spending time with pastors of smaller churches. Ronnie and I vocationally spent time with larger churches, but the smaller pastors, smaller churches are so under-resourced that that's just an area of focus we want to have. What would you say to a, a pastor who is a smaller community, less than 200, which honestly would be a lot of America, right? But they look at canoeing the mountains, they look at some of these concepts and they are just, it's so overwhelming for them because this is all just completely foreign to them. So what what would you say to a pastor who's just trying to emerge as an adaptive leader? Well, what I would say is, first of all, you weren't trained for this. Like, so it's not about trying harder. It's about retraining and that's okay. Like don't, I always say to people, don't paddle harder if you're in a river where you run out of water. And so retrain, which is why, you know, we got a big grant at Fuller. I lead the Church Leadership Institute at Fuller. We got a big grant so that we could take the exact same consulting work that my company does with churches that can afford to have us come in as a consultant. We now deliver in an online format in cohorts that can train any size church team with any size group of lay people um, in a cohort setting really, really inexpensively. Like that's been our project is how do we get that adaptive capacity into every leader? How do we get, how do we help every faith leader thrive as a change leader? So first of all, take on that it's about training. And second, get with some other folks who you can learn from and that you can be part of it. And if you make this yeah. normal, like this is normal, this is for everybody, this is what we're all doing, then right. I think you won't, um, you, it'll it'll help you be less discouraged. And And the last thing I think I'd say is, I actually think the hope of the church is in the small church. The small church is where we can experiment. Um, If the the small church, it's easier to come up with something new in a small church and then ask how that applies to a large church. Because I've pastored large churches. And so stuff like small group movements or dinners for eight or programs for people to get to know each other were needed because in a way that in a small church you didn't need because everybody knew how how to invite someone to lunch. Right, like, yeah. you didn't need to have a hospitality yeah. team. The whole church was. So once they had right. the larger <laughs> churches had to program the stuff that was already in the DNA of the small church. And so I think if we can get adaptive capacity and in, in and um, the ability to innovate wisely in small churches, I think we're going to have a lot more people producing who can then work at any size. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. And that's you know one of the things that I think helped us succeed in, during COVID was our small groups. Yeah. We talked about the church deployed, being the church on your block. I mean, all of that, just understanding, yeah, you take care of one another. Yeah. And that gave us life through a really rough time. Yeah, pretty so beautiful. I agree 100%. Yeah. yeah, it really was beautiful seeing the church be the church. Hey, Todd, we want to be very respectful of your time and just want to thank you so much for being on the podcast with us. I mean, a huge honor to Ronnie and me. Ronnie and I have known each other for 20 years. We've been serving at this community of faith now for the last six. And for six years, we have been processing, thinking through and applying Canoeing the Mountains, Tempered Resilience as well. And uh, so it's just a huge, huge honor to, to get to talk to you and ask you a few questions. Yeah. Well, thank you. Well, bless your ministry and thanks for having me on. Uh, Well done, Todd. Keep them coming. Great to meet you. Bless you. Bless you very much. And that's going to do it for this episode of Crazy Pastors. If you have found this content helpful, please leave a review on your listening platform and share the episode with a friend. If you have a question, comment, concern, complaint, or criticism, please email me at Christopher at CrazyPastors.org. Thank you to our producer, Michael Glenn, and our engineer, Drew Broyles, who make us sound way better and smarter than we actually are. (laughs) 
<laughs> Deuces. <laughs> Smarter. And if you need a friend, call Christopher Cash, who's a friend to all.